0: Do do Namaste, motherfuckers.
1: Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. The podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host Callie Beaton, and this episode is called We've Only Just Begun. And today's theme is divorce. And by the way, if you like what we're doing here on Namaste Motherfuckers, which I'm guessing you do because you're listening, please do remember to rate, review, and recommend the show. It all helps other lovely people like you to find us. But back to today's theme of divorce. In America, there's a divorce every 36 seconds. And over here in the UK, 42% of marriages end in divorce. I find that never actually getting married radically reduces the risk. The most common reason cited for divorce is drifting apart. Coming in at number two is lack of compatibility, at number three, money issues, and number four, infidelity. And over 4% of UK divorces cite online games as a contributing factor, not pornography, online games, And back in 1857, after the law was reformed in England to make divorce easier, there was a marked drop in arsenic poisonings.
0: It's my office that's... Am I still fine on Airpods? You're
1: fine, you're fine. That's today's guest, Hal Cruttenden. Italy decided not to broadcast the Eurovision Song Contest in 1974 because it was worried that its song, with the refrain CCC, would subliminally affect an upcoming referendum on divorce. God, I wish we could have elected not to broadcast Farage and Johnson during the referendum for Brexit. Hey ho. In 1475, a law passed in Turkey made it legal for a woman to divorce her husband if he didn't provide her with an adequate amount of coffee. And under medieval Welsh law, a woman could divorce her husband if he had bad breath. And more recently, in 2017, a Palestinian judge banned divorce during Ramadan because, and I quote, people make hasty decisions when they're hungry.
0: Yeah, but also it's quite good because I'm, I'm really stressed today, so I keep thinking I'm, this, this is good and dangerous.
1: Hal Cruttenden is an actor, writer, presenter and one of the top touring comedians in the country. His TV credits are multitudinous, including Live at the Apollo, Have I Got News for You? The Royal Variety Performance, Would I Lie to You?, Richard Osmond's House of Games, Mock the Week and Celebrity Mastermind. His acting credits include Shackleton, EastEnders, and Touching Evil. He wrote and starred in his own sitcom, Hal, on Radio 4. And he's currently on tour with his show, It's Best You Hear It From Me. And there's a ticket link for that in this episode's show notes. Hal and I talked about divorce, crying, laughing, touring, private school, dating in your 50s, personality, nerves, confidence, being attacked by members of the audience, rugby, snoring, sweating, Spiderman, social media, dads and death. But I started by asking him what kind of mood he was in when we recorded this.
0: I'm really stressed today. So I keep thinking, I'm, this this is good and dangerous. I think as a podcast to do because I've got this thing where I'm going. My mind's all over the place at the moment. I'm all <coughs> so. Uh,
1: What's making you so stressed today? <coughs> Have you got COVID? Am, first of all, if you if we were in a no, room at this point, I'd be putting a mask on you.
0: No, that's me on uh, Marmite, Grey's Crunch, and I just thought I'd buy Ooh. something in the supermarket. No, I'm I'm just going through one of those times. I react, I think I'm the opposite of you, I reckon, because I think you're quite good with pressure, aren't you? You quite like busy pressure and stuff. I'm over busy and there's always something to do. So literally in today, in doing, today's a quieter day and it's just uh, sorting out, sorting out my boiler and doing this and, and um, trying to do some prep for a thing I'm doing tomorrow, things like that. But I've just, I've just got so much going on. And then in a week's time, we shouldn't, we haven't started yet, have we? So, no, but we just, tend we,
1: to dive in wherever it suits. So, we don't have a formal start. So, we'll tend to just pick oh, up, we just sorry. chat, we trick people into confessing about prostate self examination, and then they find yes. that's gone out to the nation.
0: Well, the thing is, I do that the whole time. I kind of think no one ever, I'm sorry, I, I assume loads of people do listen to your podcast, but I tend to do podcasts and assume no one li- listens to them, and then my daughter listens to all of them. And goes, why did you say that on that one? I said because I was out of control, and I thought it was to an audience of two. Um, so I do, I do tend to. I'm in a mood to overshare. Which is is that what people tend to do on this? Because we
1: have we have very people coming on saying, oh, I don't like talking about any emotional stuff, and then crying. I've had disclosures about things people never. But we never try and trick anyone into anything they don't want to do. We just everyone comes out of this feeling good.
0: I just think, could you save me from myself?
1: Oh, generally I'm, or on the podcast generally, generally yeah no on problem the it's funny you think that I cope with stress well because um, I think mm-hmm. I sort of always used to on the surface but like you I have my finger in many pies and mm-hmm. I get so anxious about work I have to it's always about work I get anxious not even the content like can I do this but the bandwidth to get myself with all the stuff it's going to entail—writing things, sorting things, talking to someone on a briefing call—by yeah, yeah, yeah. the time I get to the thing, I feel euphoric because I'm like, "Well, now I've just got to do the thing."
0: Oh, really? That's really weird because I, I mean, so do, are you telling me you are calmer right before going on stage to do a corporate event or do a? Completely.
1: Completely. I'll be more agitated in the briefing call, not nervous, but just anxious about, oh God, there's a CEO trying to, you know, waste my time telling me things I don't need to know. And Judy from Presslet's like she's gonna be a nuisance and and they've asked for slides by Friday. And, and then whether to no, know I get quite I mean, I don't get then, well, you and I are about to host something together, aren't we? What is that? <laughs> I would, what an extraordinary, because originally it was going to be me and Colin Murray. And I oh, understood wow. that because I thought Colin Murray is not a comedian. So I'll do some funny things. Colin will be a sort of who people know. And I understood that. And now I'm like, well, what are you and I bringing to the table? Given, well,
0: you yeah. you bring some authority and experience of proper world. and I. I mean, I'm de- I, it is a terrible thing to be 53 and doing this, but I do tend to, I'll want to play the child, basically. So I'll want to be the idiot and you be the one that sort of knows everything. That's, is that pathetic? It sounds like every
1: relationship me? I've ever had. It's perfect. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll just, <laughs> yeah. I'll just relax into that. Don't, I'm, I'm surprised I'm getting paid to do that. Uh, yes. Well, I did. Um, because I think when you do all those different things, and this is really going to irritate people who don't get corporates. But there is a really, I know you do kind of, you're comedic at corporates and quite often I'm doing kind of speeches or whatever that are lightly humorous, but the emphasis isn't on having to be funny, which is, is a big big old weight off. But I, I don't know if you find this, but when you're going from one kind of mental space to another, it, it does feel a bit like you literally, well, I'll be this person because I'm a corporate and it's authentic, but it's a version of myself. Then I'm doing a new material gig. I'll be this person. Then I'm doing a tour mm-hmm. show and I'll be that person. And then I'm with my kids and i just sometimes think god i can't. if i can if i can just relax into i'm writing for the now show at the moment so all i'm doing today is writing for the now show and talking to you and that feels lovely because i'm like okay, that's two things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they're not unconnected in terms of type of conversation but i don't know do you find sometimes it's just the different things we have to do that aren't don't always feel very connected mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't know, because I, I don't think I have as, I don't have as much breadth as you do in terms of what you're doing. You have real, you have an authority at those, you know, event things that we do, and I don't have that. But so my main thing is, you know, going to corporates and b- pretending that I am very in control and normal gigs when I can play the, oh, God, I think I'm going to be rubbish and moan to other comics and, you know. Or, or, my, or my own tour show when I could do myself. To, and my tour show, I slag myself off so much in my career and everything. And I find then there's events where I have to be, no, it'll all be fine, don't worry, because they're worrying about you at that event. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I sort of, I don't know if I have different spaces. I do, I suppose I do, I do with my kids. I see what you mean in terms of life in
1: general. I don't know if you still have this and how it is being single at your stage in life, because you were with your partner over 20 years, weren't you? Yes, and, I, yeah. and I think there's something about um, having re- realising that you've basically had someone occupy that part of your head for that many years, like that was your person and that part of your brain was with them. And then when they're not camping out in that bit of your brain, it's kind of like this is, it's a very odd thing when you've gone through those pivotal times in your life with that person as a witness to your life. And then they're they've decamped.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, I just find it's, I mean, i that's what, I am a little bit, don't really know who I am at the moment, which it sounds ridiculous at 53, but you do realise that you were, I was this guy in this great marriage. I was this, I knew who I was. I was a middle-aged guy, great marriage, quite funny, funny, you know, sort of the funny rubbish husband with the wife that kind of got every, everybody kind of admired more because she was, seemed the more capable one. Um, and there were, th- you know, things that, Things that I didn't deal with. What you 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 compartmentalize your life, and you. Like I tended to do everything financial. She tended to do everything practical. Um, it's so much so that when the guy came to do the boiler today, quite nervous by myself getting it right. I mean, literally, <laughs> she she doesn't mind us. I mean, I am actually better at cars than her. Um, but just lots of things in terms of dealing with people. Um, I realise how much, it, it feels like being a child in some ways, you haven't really developed because you've mm-hmm. been in a couple you've given out part of your brain and part of what you need to learn in life to that person. Um, and they've handled it for 20 years. And also there are things that I've handled, my wife, <laughs> let's try to think. Yeah, there's a bit of financial. <laughs> She's the quite car, as we've
1: though. established, the car.
0: The car, <laughs> the car, and, which a little bit, yeah. And, um, and, you know, financial stuff and things like that. But, um, so I do find that is quite panicky but but it is interesting as well because i at first i was terribly excited about the idea of dating and being single and all those things and and it is still it is still really exciting but it's it's it feels to me like it's the it's it, it it throws it all on its head compared to dating in your 20s late 20s early 30s and dating in your 50s and i i made i'm trying to make this point to my show at the moment but i've not quite made it funny enough It's the point is that when i was in my 20s I was quite boring and was pretending to be a bit more fucked up and interesting. And by your fifties, I think you are quite fucked up and interesting and you'll pretend to be terribly normal and together. And I'm just here to meet people and all that sort of stuff. You know, I've, <laughs> I've not been on dating apps, but the feel of dating apps is, you know, whenever I look at them, I've never joined one. It's all been like, Oh, it's all like, Hey, it's great. And I'm, I'm really together. And I'm here just to make friends. And I'm not desperately clinging on to anybody. And I've, you know, don't want to share too many of my issues in the past. It feels like it feels like it's the absolute it's the mirror image of what you are in your twenties. Where in your twenties everybody's like, yeah, I've I've been really fucked up and I, I really need to have a deep conversation <laughs> about my two and a half year relationship that broke up and I'm really and you up kind of advertising your pain in your twenties and, and that you've lived.
1: And whereas and we, we have yeah. we have lived in a way that is extremely alienating to anyone who should wish to become intimate with exactly.
0: us. <laughs> Cause exactly. Exactly. Because you don't want yeah, you don't want to share. Because also being a being divorced as well is it's I've still got to get over that thing of of you know, it's it. It would be nicer to be widowed, but that's a terrible
1: thing. To, I hear oh God, you. That awful. I hear you. No, I because remember. People, yeah,
0: I'm not, not like I want my wife to die. But anyway, but but in terms of people going, well, oh God, that's that's why people love widowed people because they go, they've done nothing wrong. Whereas in divorces, you go, ah, oh, well, how did that happen then? What did you do? Why were you shit? Why did you fail? That- it's
1: also that I remember when I had a, my worst ever breakup and I, I I'm pretty sure it can never be topped, which was somebody who left me on my birthday out of the blue the week after he'd asked me to marry him and, oh my and two weeks after he'd taken me to where he was from in Ireland to meet everyone and it turned and it was completely out of the blue and I never saw him again he was gone that day and I oh. never saw him again I found out a little bit later he was he was fucking someone from work who was about 20 years younger than me so very oh. cliched. But I remember thinking after that, it was exactly like he died because I was with him and then I never saw him again. And if he had been knocked down by a bus, I would have been left in exactly the same position, apart from without the rejection. Then I'd have been yeah. like, oh, my God, and he died. And, and in his case, I won't say I don't wish him dead. No, I don't wish him dead. I did. Finally, I sought him out to say a goodbye some years later. I, I I was somewhere where we'd been together on holiday and it just reminded me he never gave me the chance to say goodbye. So I found I emailed him. I had his work email still and said uh, i'd like to have a coffee because i never got a chance to say goodbye and i literally i treated him like a jehovah's witness i said you know i'm going to say goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and i left he'd got his coat off i was like you don't need to take your coat off um, we were in a prêtre manger at victoria station but um mm. it was like the reverse brief encounter very brief encounter but um but i do remember that feeling of this would be simpler if someone had died uh, and, and I know it's different because your wife, well, I don't know, it, your, your show is called It's Best You Hear It From Me. Yes. Why is it called that?
0: Well, do you, do you know what? This is the stupid thing. I don't, I hate that title. I shouldn't have a title that I don't like. I have got talked into it. I have this in my show. You, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just, you haven't seen my show, have you? Can no, I you haven't know. seen your show. Um, I'd like to see your you show. You should, you should come see my show. I will. Um, I was, what's to call it, Hal Cruttendon can dish it out, but can't take it. Uh, which I thought was really a good time. And I thought that up a couple of years ago. My this is before my wife left me. My agent said there was something very funny that struck me. You were doing a thing, and I, and I was being rude to somebody in the audience. And I went, "Look, it's best you hear it from me." And he went, "I love when you do that." And then he made, and then he talked me. Him and the office did a vote on it and sort of talked me into calling the show. It's best you hear it from me. And I used to. This is before I did. So it's best you hear it from me. Just ha- it, I got lucky. But my wife left me in the time <laughs> after. We've got up the title ages before and because I was going to start touring early in 2022. And the whole tour was delayed because of the divorce because the whole show was changed. So it was just going to be as a sort of regular stand up show. It's best you hear it from me. It was so I was really angry about it because afterwards I thought I shouldn't let. Him. I mean, I love my agent and his ideas are brilliant. Sometimes. I love him I just, too.
1: The mighty yes. Christian Knowles. He's he really is, helped is. me a lot because he works with my agent and he's been amazing to me, even though he doesn't oh, I, even rep me.
0: Well, he's brilliant. He's really brilliant. And he's his ideas are usually brilliant. And this idea, well, I, I make the point of the show that it
1: turned out to be great,
0: it's best you hear it from me, because my wife left me. It's almost as if Christian knew what she was going to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but no, I would say he is... Have you seen
1: Christian lately, or is he in Goa this week? Yeah, he's I in Goa. With,
0: no, I'm so horrible to him. I always do some... Uh, in this show, I make out that he's having an affair with my wife, which he isn't. Uh, but I then have in my show before i used to do this whole stuff about how tough it was if he died to go to his funeral because i'd be i'd be really sad but i'd be desperately angling for new representation and i knew other agents would be there and i said this whole set about how are you Hel? i'm doing I'm, I'm okay but i think i'm writing some of my best stuff at the moment you know it just basically going around desperately trying to get people to take to take me on um and that so, is
1: exactly any comedians going well yeah that's barely even funny that's exactly what we would be
0: doing exactly <laughs> exactly. Total but, but reality. I, I, i've always had this i mean with this show i said i've had to fill up christian and go, christian do you mind if i make out that uh, you're having an affair with my wife. He went, Do whatever you need, ever you need to do, because I always, t- he always becomes a bit of a character in my stand up. Have you ever cried in front of your agent? He,
1: I don't know if, I'm thinking she's probably cried in front of me,
0: is that right? <laughs> 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 no, I just realised how close I felt. To, I, want, I watched the film Jerry Maguire, and I watched the movie <laughs> 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 where Cuba and Jr. goes, Jerry, did you? yeah and of God, course of course and it's the this is for my agent to do a thing like that like oh i'd love to do because i have i've cried on christian twice over things not to do with work over he was one of the first people i told about the divorce i had to cancel some warm-up shows and just after i broke up with my wife I, I phoned him and cried on him i cried on him when my mum died as well and i I had to phone him to cancel something else I couldn't do. So he's always there at moments of tragedy. Um, but I would lo- I've would. i always wanted to win something big so I could do an emotional, this is for Christian, because nobody picks up their agents enough in comedy and goes, they tend to go, well, the production team was, sort of... I mean, they will mention their agent, but no one, you know, agents get a sort of, they, they tend to be seen as a little bits sort of figures in the darkness.
1: You're privately educated, aren't you? You're a privileged am, yes. white man. And, yeah. uh, and should have done so
0: much better.
1: <laughs> there's lots of, there are quite a lot of um, privately educated uh, people on the circuit, though, aren't they? I mean, there's some like Ivo Graham who sort of, it's the whole thing. But there are yeah. more than you realise. But do you think that, um, that when you, I, I was talking to Finn Taylor uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he and I were both brought up in, um, private schools because our parents taught there and private schools that also happen to be for the gender that we're not. So we've got that in common. Oh, um, yeah, so he was brought up in a girl's boarding house and I was at that same age, but not the same time chronologically because he's a lot younger, but I was brought up in a boy's boarding school. But do you think there is anything about like emotion, like like where, where you, because so having gone from being in a boarding school to being at uni, I know you had a gap year and stuff, to, to being in a marriage you sort of I, we're not straight
0: into the marriage. Though. I wasn't boarding at my school. OK, but it was prior to so so day did, school. It was day school. It did have borders, but it was in London, so it was more normal. Even It was it was um, St Paul's in in Barnes, which is everybody... I hate telling people... What school was yours? What was yours?
1: Port Regis in Dorset.
0: Oh, right. So not such a famous one, I was saying. I'm not being...
1: Well, I'm the royals sorry. all went there, but no, um, oh, sorry, it's, sorry. yeah, no, it's all right. Uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> so it, you know what it is. It's because you're in London. So, you know, the London ones and you yeah, know, the no. London ones and Eton yeah, and Winchester. Exactly. Yeah. But,
0: but whenever I mention my one, this is what I hate about my one because it was, it's now very desirable, uh, St Paul's, because of people, I mean, George Osborne was there when I was there and I think David Cameron sent his kids there after, after he left, stopped being prime minister or something. Anyway, I, I don't. Don't, I'm not sure that's true. So, but I remember he was thinking about it anyway. So, lots of people talking about it, and people go, "Oh, you were at St Paul's. Oh God, you must be really." Oh, actually, Jacob Rees Mogg said this to me, and I was doing the biographies view. Oh, you were St Paul's, you must be really bright. It's like you know, sorry, I'm flicking bees but yes, people who are listening for the audio medium. because because there are stupid people at all those academic schools oh, there as well. Are. There are, yeah, and I got in, and I was quite bright, but I didn't work hard at A level. I was quite. I I do think. My school it was hugely privileged to be there, and it was a massively wasted opportunity because my last I think that you know my my last two years at a level, I didn't put the work in you just go you know, you' and me, you do that thing of going oh i could have I could have done this and I could have done that and I could have been oxbridge, and that's what you're meant to do from those schools, and when you don't do it, there is a sort of residual guilt because you know you've been given a leg up and you've kind of gone, yeah, I need to just hang out and get stoned a bit and not really do much work rather than actually you know, grabbing the moment and becoming, I do not know if I wanted to become, I didn't want to become prime minister, but I wanted to become something more impressive in a sort of, I don't know, just be able to go, yes, I was at this university, that university. What would be more
1: just... impressive then? What would, for you, what would it have been? If you could look back and say to your A-level self, just pull your finger out, mate, because you want to be this, what is it you'd have done? I want to be, I, I think just,
0: uh... God, I don't know, because the thing is, I still desperately want to have been, want to have been a comedian. So I actually, so so the, yeah, the problem is I'd have to be a completely different person. This is the truth. But
1: that's <laughs> quite is, the time. Actually, that's quite the time machine. Then go back in time and rewire the entire plunk. Yeah, I think I think the
0: idea would have been I'd love to have gone to Cambridge. I'd love to have done footlights. I'd love to have gone into comedy at at twenty twenty one instead of twenty seven. Uh, I'd like to have been far more confidence in it but actually if i'd gone to those places i wasn't in fact they wouldn't have given me that confidence that you'd actually you have to have the confidence to thrive in those places so i probably would have sunk without trace and had a breakdown
1: well my brother are, we are
0: also working too hard at uh, my brother was
1: games. um we we went to the, the, my prep school was a was a kind of first rate prep school it's funny that i got all like well the royals go there when all my material for the now show tomorrow <laughs> is anti royalist. so yeah i don't <laughs> know why i suddenly saw fit to throw them out as a sort of posting <laughs> card but um but my brother we both went on to second-rate public schools my my brother stayed in his and I I got out of it as quickly as I could and went to the local state school but he then carried on that trajectory and is very clever you know went to Oxford studied physics a really clever guy but he was at Oxford he's two years older than us Um, Mm -hmm. and he went to Oxford and was a contemporary of Johnson and Gove and he said there was only one thing worse than being a state school kid in that environment and that was being from a secondary public school and you were the absolute shit on their shoes and so i do and I, I used to go up and sort of socialize and stay up there and knew some of his mates and stuff and i would i don't know about you but i would not have survived five seconds mentally in the knoxbridge environment back then but um i, you, I know yeah, you know, not assuming you wouldn't i i wouldn't
0: well it's just incredible it, it, it is i mean i i would have sunk without trace i think but that's the thing i have the fancy all my fantasy is actually not really possible if I still remain the person that I am I was always a slightly insecure quite sensitive kid uh not not naturally full of confidence and actually you you have to be a Boris Johnson you have to have the belief going there and going I'm going to run this place and I'm you know I've got the charisma to get away with it and um I so so I actually yeah so I think that the fantasy I have of oh I messed up from being at a great school that gives you the keys to lots of fantastic things in life, and I kind of threw them away, you go, well, actually, maybe you were always going to, because maybe you were that sort of person. So, Or
1: well, maybe you didn't throw them away. Maybe you used them in ways you didn't realise. I've only realised much later in life that, that that grounding I had in that prep school, which was quite a sort of bohemian prep school, and I you know, did loads of kind of playing the piano and drama, and it was, it was quite, a, looking back at it, very ahead of its times, I think, for a prep school in the 70s. And I, but I've only just recently realized that's probably where that whatever that thing is, I can do in terms of holding a room and using my words. And I actually think it came from there, even Mm -hmm. though I've been massively insecure my whole adult life. And it's taken me a really long time to have the courage to get up and say what it is I'd like to say. But I think that probably did come from those because I do think that they say, don't they, we become the person we are by the age of five, or maybe at the outside by the age of seven, and that those are the formative experiences, actually.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. I just, yeah, I, 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 oh God, I don't know. This is the thing. I'm in this day of when I don't know what I feel about lots of things, mainly because I've only had about four hours sleep.
1: Why have you only had four (laughs) hours sleep? Was it a really good date?
0: No, the M1 shut at oh. half 11 last night as I was coming back from the Belfry. Doing I've had that a lot,
1: time. that two M1 30. shutting at night. You go out and it takes you an hour and you come back, it takes you four and a half hours and you don't expect and that.
0: And my dogs were at home by themselves. I was going, no, what are they going to do? I said, all they're going to do is piss on the floor. That's all they're going to do. How long, long were they at dogs. home
1: for? Make me feel better they about were, leaving my I'd, puppy.
0: I'd left them at 4.30 and I got back at around two, 10 past two or something. So they did nearly 10 hours. They? giving you a what a shit dog owner look. I know, but I was meant to be back about midnight or just before. So that would have still been a long one, but that would have only been, oh, God, what's that? Eight Seven
1: hours. Seven and a half
0: hours. They yeah, can, and so. we know they
1: can do that because they hold their bladders through the night. So we know that is yes. entirely possible or they couldn't do exactly. nights. So you don't I, on, you but, but, I don't know what you think about anything because you're
0: tired. Sorry, I don't know what I think about going is our personality formed by the age of five six I don't know because I don't th- I I sort of um uh I don't know I think I was quite no I no I was all. The, the thing is I was a little, I was a kid who was very very nervy and and worried about things I was always worried about going to parties and stuff but as soon as I turned as soon as I got to know somebody for about five minutes then I'd be doing handstands joking do you, do you know what I mean there was a there was a real two parts of me when I was a little kid and I'm, you were always I'm a comedian. Sure. That
1: sounds like all of us, that we all feel like shit until we do a couple of gags, then we get a laugh and we're like king yes. of the world. Yeah. Well,
0: I remember this time. I remember being, my problem with the schools I was at is they, they didn't mind performers. Good actors came out of my school and stuff, a few, but it wasn't an important thing. It wasn't important to be performing. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't seen as a great skill. And loads of private schools now it really It really is seen as, oh, you're going to be good at this. Um But I remember, I remember there'd be, I was quite a shy kid and I was nine years old at my prep school and our form teacher, Major Payne, on real name, Major Payne, uh, He's a major from the Second World War, and games was rained off and we're sitting, it was all, we, we had to just entertain ourselves and somebody had a wig from something and we were all running, we were all getting up and doing impressions and I was more one of the shy kids. And I was up every other time. I was doing everything. I was doing Shirley Bassey. I was doing. You know, I, was, I running up and down, doing really silly impressions. Rod Stewart, and just being sort of, and, and it's that it's that escape into performance. You are a nervous person. You are insecure. You are unsure about who you are. But you're also desperate to to have that to, for that drug of entertainment of you know of uh, making people laugh. And it is God. It's taken me it's taken me years to realize how happy I am. That I do what I do, which is, I think, because you started later, you must have gone, "No, this really is important that I do this now."
1: Yes, yeah, so I don't think it's such an irrational thing to do. I mean, who is giving up the boardroom to become a comedian at, at you know in their mid forties in their right mind? I mean, it's not, a, it's not, a, you're not thinking right when you do that. And so I look back yeah. and I think, oh, perimenopause, mental collapse, okay. midlife crisis, sick of my job. There was a lot at play, and it sort of turned out all right so far. Namaste, motherfucker. I've met you a few times. And I think I met you a couple of times when I was very, very new. And you probably wouldn't remember we've we've met. And then we met a few more times more recently. And you don't strike me as someone backstage who's at all nervous.
0: I must be putting on an act for you, Kelly. Because I think I'm the person who is, well, I used to, I, I'm better now because I, I, I can't really get away with it now. I've been doing this 25 years. But I was the sort of, oh, it's probably going to be a really hard night. When we started, outside, I was a little panicker. Um, I don't think I was panicking any more than anybody else. But, but Rob Brydonen ever said to me, going, it's all going on inside for me. It's all going on inside. That was um, code
1: for shut up, Hal. Yeah, that You're was, annoying exactly.
0: I, I think that was when I was on tour with him. And I'm supporter. <laughs> I'm, I just
1: support that. I'm the
0: unimportant support that. It's his show. Everybody's come to see Rob and I'm going, oh, Rob, what do you think? It's be tough. He's going, no, Hal, I'm just going to, you know. Um, <laughs> I think, actually, he also spoke to me when he was doing his TV show. It was, I, was, I was working on, his, on the Rob Bryant show in, like, 2010. And I was there going, "You you nervous, Rob? You know, I was writing for him. He went, it's all inside. It's just, <laughs> you know, balls of steel, Hal, balls of steel. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I I don't think I necessarily am more nervous than anybody else, but I'm just far too I – I tend to unleash far too much on other people, and I'm getting better at controlling it because I'm too old to be doing that, especially, you know, with um, – with when you're the most experienced person on the bill or you've got a support act and you're doing a tour show um i i i the nerves are always there for me god this is so weird i've actually discovered something i don't think about anymore because i think myself as a very neurotic person i go but nerves have never stopped me doing anything i've never run away from a gig ever even when i've gone this is going to be a disaster because this setup is all wrong i've always gone let's see and if you die, you die. And also, there's a weird courage that you're on stage. It's so strange that it's not fear you feel on stage when things all go wrong. It's anger, I feel. There's a huge arrogance beneath this veneer of I'm a little bit worried. There's a huge arrogance in going, you know, this is funny and you're wrong. to <laughs> not be laughing at it. And I have to find the hardest thing for me has been controlling my temper over the years of not going, no, no. And, and you know, of, so, so that panic beforehand is all... It's almost like a different person. It's like you become—I I think Bruce Forsyth used to do a little skip just before he walked on stage. He used to do a little joke about it. But he'd walk on, do a little skip, and he'd be Brucey the performer. And I always find that I'm nervous, and now I'm very aware of it. When I'm nervous. I'm going. This isn't the performer. This is this is you being nervous. And when you're on stage, you won't have this person there. You'll be as like you're a slightly different person when you're on stage because I. For instance, I do so much chat to the audience on the tour show. If you ask me now, the idea of going on and just chatting to people I don't know is terrifying. I'm in a zone where I'm just, and I'm, and I'm incredibly rude and trying to break up their marriages now and tell them that their kids are rubbish. Um, and I, I, it's a way of showing love. I tend to be really rude to people. But, um, but uh, it's, it's because I'm, I'm in a different headspace. I can't even recognise that person I am on stage when I'm off stage it's really weird so I've always accepted that now I get it, very nervous but I sort of deep down know that whatever happens it's going to be okay because I've you know I've been seen, had, I've been I've had some terrible things happen over the years you know so
1: what like what What are your most well, terrible I, things
0: I've been threatened quite a lot
1: by audience lot. members or yeah or by Christian just, saying keep me out of your fucking
0: shows <laughs> 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 the weird, yes Christian going shut up no, I,
1: I think the worst I actually had
0: weirdly I haven't been nearly attacked for t- over 10 years and I'm in Caterham in Surrey in about June or July this year And I, this year nothing had ever happened before and I'm doing my you know my show about breaking up and I'm doing a joke about the fact that we always blame the man we always blame men for divorces I do and I'm one getting divorced and don't really blame myself but I tend to assume it's the man's fault and this guy went show your workings and I went no, I'm not justifying it. I'm saying, isn't it silly that society tends to go, you know, if man leaves woman, bastard, woman leaves man, what does the bastard do to make her leave? I, and I tend to side up that we tend to always blame the man. And this man took it that I was saying it is always the man's fault. He'd obviously got his own inner trauma. Um, and I went, what do you mean show your workings? I, I said, I'm not trying to justify it. I said, he said, show your workings. And he just, like most drunk people at comedy clubs who, who, who are just in a, they're in a zone and you can't almost get them out of it. Um, and so I started then being very rude about them and just saying, he's like, oh God, this is the problem. You see, there's a complexity to what I'm saying in terms of I'm saying it, but I'm not saying that that's my opinion. I'm just saying that's conventional opinion. And then I have to do a gig where somebody's drunk too much and they don't understand. He went, I'm not drunk. I went, oh my God, you're stupid then. So I tended to <laughs> sort of, so I did go like that. And then, this other guy who I'd been much ruder to, his friend, he basically went for me and his friend just wrapped, who was a big man, just wrapped his arms around him and held him back. And I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, that's a- in Caterham, in Caterham, in Surrey, it always surprises you where you get attacked. It's never Glasgow. It's never where you- It's never Belfast. It's never Liverpool. It's always unused Guilford and Caterham and sort of home counties places, but um,
1: you're unleashing but actually, something within these men. It's men of your age who are like because after the people who, if anyone's going to kick off at me, it'll be a woman my age in a place where oh, I think no. you should know better. Yeah, I've had some. I've had no one's ever physically attacked me. I do wonder when you're saying that. I've definitely, as an MC, felt slightly more untouchable when I've thought I can really go in hard on big groups of men because I don't think any of them are going to jump up and punch me yeah. because it, imagine how bad they would look.
0: Yeah, but also at my age, I'm outraged that someone wants to attack me. If so, you know, that, that, I, I remember turning 40 and the first time somebody, that was one well, of the last time somebody got up to attack me. I'm um, really surprised not, by this
1: thread of your constant threats of attack. How I wasn't, I, I didn't say I've been this. attacked
0: more than most. I uh, really uh, as I, a
1: comedian, you mean, or just uh, in the streets,
0: or uh, no? Yeah, as a comedian, as a comedian, you've been attacked. Have, I've had a lot of people get really, really annoyed with me. Maybe it's because, and this sounds a bit non, uh, what's non PC, or whatever, um that I did used to do a lot of material on. Uh, how my mum used to believe I was gay. This is like years, and how people did tend to think I was gay, and that there are some. And we make this, and I say how stupid the assumption is, but I would say to a man, you must have this as well. Or, you know, it's uh, obviously a man who had already seen found out was straight. Some men took it so badly. Really, some men. Li- I mean, literally, somebody go, and they would. You know, so you were getting homophobic upset. attacks, and you're not
1: even gay, which is makes you very rare. I know it
0: was just really, it was really strange. I had one once where. It was jongler's Watford. and As soon as you think oh, jongler's
1: Watford, we're thinking attack's not too far away from the that, Yeah, Josh. that's a normal one. That's yeah. a normal
0: one. This guy was just weird. He was just pumped up on something. And he was a, like a bodybuilder. And he was really... I mean, I'm not just saying that. He really was big. Because the other guy that was going to attack me in Caterham wasn't big. It would have been... I mean, I actually, do you know what I do? When someone's about to attack me, I have my hand on... The mic stand, always prepared to swing it round. I mean, I would kill someone with it. I shouldn't never get into a fight, but I'm always ready to go. You're going to get some of this if you come near me. sort of thing. Um, So, so oh
1: my, I didn't expect the conversation to take this turn. No,
0: but I, but, <laughs> but, but um, this guy, this there was this guy was um, he, so he, he all I did was take the piss out of a stag do. Just, he's on the stag do, and um, and I said something like. Uh, Oh, yeah. It was really lighthearted. But I did drop the C-bomb on a stag dude. just go. Yeah, there's a lovely guy. Not C-U-N-T's like you. Um, in a, It was, you know, it was a, when was it? It was 2010. I still remember the year. And this guy went, all I heard was this guy going, right, he's going on his arse. And he got up, oh. walked towards me. and I went, look, 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 because I thought <laughs> you are really going to hurt me. So I had to go, look, I do really apologise. It's just jokes. I'm not mean to offend anyone, does it? And he went and sat down and I went, and when that happens, ladies and gentlemen, I leave. And I put the mic in the stand. And the audience went, oh, and I went, he was about to attack me. And then they're, they're all getting, there was no bouncer in the room at the time. And I remember they were all being thrown out. And once the bouncers were all round me and they were being thrown out, I got very brave was going I'm 40 years old you know and you cannot be threatening people because I was so obsessed with being 40 I was going it's very dangerous to punch somebody in the face and 40 or over we might die and I still I've learned that thing now but how could I, I I was a. I mean that guy was nearer my age he was attacking me but I, if a young person came at me on stage I'd be I would be furious they'll be going I'm
1: 53 it's undignified, isn't it? It's undi- yeah, although I now think don't you think now at our age, I think 40 is young. <laughs> like when you're yeah, four, exactly. you're in your prime, you should be the one up there fighting at 40, you don't realise. <laughs> Are you um did you did you have through your cause you, you you're a rugby lover and have a rugby podcast yeah. and your Saracen's connection and everything? Is that all because I sort of assume if you've played rugby into rugby, went to private school, that you'll be no that you'll be no stranger to violence, that you love smashing I... people's heads against the porcelain in the showers.
0: This is the problem. I was never a good rugby player. I was always a massive rugby fan, mainly because I must admit my career never really took off in any meaningful sense. Because I was, I had to stop playing by about sixteen because I've, I had four, three knee operations. My knees are wrecked um and I've still had another one since then and I just did, had to stop playing so Makes I think you perfect hard. to be
1: on a dating site by the way as a 53 year old man with your knees fucked you absolutely bang on the core demographic there so oh
0: really loads yeah, of fuck all knees their and... knees
1: are fucked and their hips are fucked but anyway back to your story
0: no, <laughs> but um but yeah so it sort of got me out of the fact of never quite facing the fact that I wasn't that good I, I was probably pretty good when I was 12 or 13, 14. Then the knees stopped. I mean, it's horrible. I used to have these knees that would click out and basically go on the side of my leg and stuff, my kneecap. So it's, it was kind of disgusting, but it's got me out of there and to face the fact that I'm not that manly. But yet, I love watching a very violent sport. So that is, you know. I, don't, I do have a lot of admiration for people who are professional rugby players because I would never have been able to do it. Because it is, I don't think I've got that mindset. I think you've got to be the sort of man that is always looking for physical challenges. I mean, uh, there's a, uh, a rugby, lovely player called Lewis Moody who was actually in the he was in the England World Cup winning side of 2003, and I I know him fairly well. We've done he's been on podcast things, and I've I've met him. But we we both were involved in a charity, and I said. He keeps doing like walks to the North Pole and keeps doing all this. He keeps doing madly horrible challenges. Um, and I said, why do you do put yourself through that? He went, because I miss it so much. I miss that rugby physical challenge so much that I need to keep pushing myself. And I am just not of that mindset. I mean, even with my dodged knees, I'm doing a slightly challenging walk in the Sahara in a week and a half time. I have to. <laughs> my knees are so bad from training for it that I've had to wear knee supports and stuff. I'm dreading every single moment of it. That's what. If anybody's listening, please sponsor me because I'm really not doing it for we fun. We will put a
1: link to it because this, uh, although this may have gone out just after you've done it, no, it'll probably go out uh, when you're doing it. Uh, who are you oh doing God. it for? What's the charity? I'm doing
0: it for brain tumor charity, which is a very popular charity because it doesn't get brain tumors don't get enough money, and they do they're the biggest killer of children and people under forty. And I got involved because my mum got a brain tumor, got the the uh, glioblastoma, which uh, but she got it at seventy four. But I know people with them who are 22 or, and basically you've got it and it's just a matter of time. It's a terminal diagnosis from when you are found to have that sort of brain tumor because they can never quite solve it. So it's so horrific. And you think, God, you go through that with an older parent and you think, God, imagine going through that with your nine-year-old child. So it's it's my big cause is the brain tumor charity.
1: And how long are you walking through the Sahara?
0: It's it's not even that tough. It's six Three days, hours. I think. Six, six, six days, days is a
1: lot. And he, where do you sleep? That's We what sleep I
0: in, the, in a tent. Yeah,
1: that's the bit I'm, I wouldn't I, like. The
0: sleeping yeah, in I'm a not,
1: tent. I, no, neither would I. I I'm going to I the can't. toilet near your peers.
0: I know. And the toilet's good. oh God, I'm exactly the same. But I'm doing, I know I'm not, I, mean, I know people go, God, it's all the challenges. It's all great. I just think it's, it's sort of a good thing for me to do because I do like to do, uh, you know, things that are, at least do something for other people when we do such a selfish job. Yeah. Um, but I, but yes, I'm. I'm not aiming to enjoy any of it. Though having said that, one of the other people on the trip has contacted me on Twitter and seems really nice. There's a group of lads from Aberdeen who are all sort of middle-aged men, all going. This is getting worse and worse to me. No, but we're all <laughs> going to be in a tent together. I, I, it's not just the knees I'm worried about. It's I'm worried less about um about the heat and all this things like that. I'm I'm worried about my knees going. I'm very worried about snoring in a tent with other people. If I lie on my back, oh, my God, I can't bear the idea of destroying other people's nights because I'm a snorer. Um, and then a friend of mine, I hadn't even thought about this, a friend of mine went, are you worried about snakes and things? I went, what? I didn't
1: even <laughs> think about snakes. So I've thrown toilets in. They've thrown snakes in. There's now no refuge.
0: It's just going to be... Oh, you won't so be the, if it's
1: a lot of men your age, Hal. Having dated broadly in your demographic, you will not be the only snorer. I'm going to go with a minimum forty percent snorer if they're a men your age. So don't worry really? about that.
0: I know it's just so it's just such an embarrassing, out of control thing snoring, isn't it?
1: It's horrible thing. It's, it's a deal break. I really wish you could just find that out. Well, you can find that out very early mm-hmm. on, can't you? And the, for me, that's like, uh-uh, I can't. My, my kid's dad is a massive snorer. He lives a mile and a half away. Yeah. I swear some nights I still hear him snoring from my bed. So, yeah. um, yeah, snoring's, snoring's a tough one.
0: It's horrific. I've got a throat. There's a spray thing. That I'm, the thing is, I have I don't record myself, so I don't even know because I now sleep alone. <laughs> I don't know if I am badly. I'm still sorry. So I'm, so I don't know if that. I'll find out on this trip. I'm going to find out on this trip. There's an
1: app or a thing I've made men I've dated use it where they're like, well, I don't snore, and I'm like, well, you... and there's an app I think, and it tells you, it knows when you snore, and it'll tell you how, how how much you snored and how loudly you snored. I've used this as a pawn in dysfunctional relationships many times, Hal. So um, you need to get on that, whatever that is. I can't remember what it's called.
0: But do you ever snore? Have you been told you snore?
1: Do you know? I haven't. But the last person I was seeing, who I was seeing until quite recently, I, I still don't know because I dumped him too quickly to find out um, what what how much of what he was saying was a joke and I didn't know him well enough to really suss it out. But he said he he snored a bit, not terribly. Mm. And he would, if I, you know, if I prodded him and he rolled over, he'd be fine. And he did, no, he said, no, you you sometimes snore too. And he's the first person who's ever said that. And then I thought, oh, is this a thing that's crept up on me? He said, now I'm a 53 year old yes. woman. And I'm a snorer. And most men I, my age are dating younger. And then if the person they date who's age-appropriate is a snorer, I feel I'm destined to be just me and Jeff the dog now. Yeah. It's game it's over. A snoring woman, and that's sexist, but I think a snoring woman is far less acceptable than a snoring man socially.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, there are some really tough things for women. They can't snore. They can't sweat heavily. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sweater. I can sweat in company poor. And then and also we're talking to you know, women that who are going through menopause things you go, Oh hot flushes and I and I think, yeah, they can't be there's not much worse. There's some reason we forgive men and with women we go, Oh my god, woman you know, society yeah. tends to be much more shocked by a sweating woman.
1: I know Absolutely. it's so it's so hot at the boat show these days which I know you do and I do a lot mm. and I when I MC it it's okay because you're only on stage a little bit and then you're off and you can dab down but when I do a 20 there now I am inevitably going to be profusely sweating within about seven or eight minutes and then I think it makes me look nervous and actually I think Ori Styler was MCing last time I did it this weekend and he had a beanie on and a jumper and I was like I was virtually in my structured swimwear backstage and I was still hot and bless him, I don't know if he meant to do this, but without saying it was because I was, and I said, and the trouble is, already it makes me look nervous because I go on and I'm sweating and it looks like I'm nervous, but I'm just sweating. And then bless him, he spent the last two minutes where I came on, not talking about me coming on, but saying, God, by the way, guys, if I look sweaty, it's blooming hot up here, you know, and I know you could say, take your beanie off, but, and actually I thought, I don't think he was probably just trying to be nice, but I'm so glad Ori did that because, and then I have to do material where I say, you know, the biggest joke of the night is putting a menopausal woman under these lights. But then I think, you know, that looks like I'm over explaining nerves I, so I, yeah I it's very difficult it. hot flushing on
0: the circuit I, I did it once on live tv and it was I got hot because I worry it isn't for me it's not nerves over the situation it's nerves over am I sweating is it show that I'm sweating oh my god I'm getting self-conscious a it, and then you just start Does it affect your wardrobe
1: choices? Because there are things I absolutely can't and won't wear colour-wise, material-wise. By the time I see what's going to suit my shape at 53, what's going to suit my sweating, and what's going to suit being ginger, I'm down to, like, one thing. I'm doing a shoot on Tuesday, and they've said you must only bring no black. No black and no monochrome. It's got to be all colours, and you need ten outfits. I was like, "Well, I can stop you right there. I have one outfit I like that is not black or monochrome, um, and it is. A, it's and they so. I'm so limited on what I can. And so for a shoot, I can find stuff that I look great in for a shoot because I'll put it on, look nice for a few shots, and then take it off. But if I had to actually go on stage in it, most yeah. of these things would be ruled out. No one wants to see a sweaty woman in lemon chiffon, do they?
0: Oh, it's horrific. This the, the last time I did. The Apprentice, You're Fired. And I had a really good show.
1: I love But I watched show. it
0: back. And by the end, you could just tell. I was wearing a sh- T-shirt under a shirt. You could just tell the outlines of sweat rings under my armpits. Like, with my arms down. You could see it was coming through. So, with them up. Massive.
1: i've got a gift for you then that's um, i'm not what i might actually give it to you as a gift next time i see but i'm going to give it to you as a gift Uh, we will or won't keep this in depending on whether i think they'll sponsor me there is a deodorant that is a paste it's a bit more like it seems a bit more like toothpaste than a deodorant it's called AKT. i t i'm not getting sponsored by them it was um created by west end stage performers dancers and so on to Mm. counter the fact that all of their clothes would end up smelling like our clothes smell as performers and ever since i've used that it was my kid's stepmom who put me onto it ever since i've used that i've it doesn't completely stop you sweating but it massively helps but you'll you'll never ever ever nothing you have will ever smell like you've sweated ever again Oh, wow. It's called AKT and it's amazing. And they have it in a couple of different, it doesn't really matter what smell you get because it's actually just doesn't really smell, but it, you put yeah. it under your arm and it's um, it's transformed my life house. That's my gift to you, you sweaty Brilliant. man. I've
0: written that down. Thank AKT.
1: Namaste,
0: motherfuckers.
1: What would you pick, Hal Cruttendon as your namaste, motherfucking, life-changing moment?
0: Do you know what my problem is with these? is that I have about five for
1: everything.
0: <laughs> um, can I preface this by going? Because you always talk about Joan Rivers being, was yours was Joan Rivers. I had an inspirational moment working. Work, I work, when we, how did you meet Joan Rivers? We She was working, with Through working
1: at Comedy Central. Yeah, so she, did, oh. uh, she was doing a couple of shows for us. And so we were doing sort of business trips where we were trying to get people to buy the shows.
0: This was like 2008 Montreal Comedy Festival and I'm doing the gala and she's hosting and I hadn't I was on first and Jason Burr was on as well but there was loads of these very cool American Canadian comics on and I went god Joan Rivers is is comparing god and I hadn't seen her for a while I thought she must be up getting on a bit I wonder what you know is she still gonna be I just in my head went what's Joan Rivers gonna be like she must be you know she was like late 70s I think at the time and she blew the gig apart she was so good she was so much she stormed it from the comparing spot. She went on, she was brilliant, but she was lovely to everybody. She was welcoming. We all did well. At the end she went, nobody bombed, wasn't it great? Everybody did well. And it inspired me so much about going, please shut up about age because sometimes as a comic, you just keep getting better. And she was so, so inspirational. Um, sorry, but that's not my, I, I think the most important moment, uh, well, in my career, well, not in my career, in my life choices, and this sounds terrible because actually this is a positive coming out of something terrible is that um, my dad died. My dad died at 50 and my dad died very suddenly and I was 20 at university. And when I look back and it makes me feel really guilty this, but I realized that there's loads of things in my life that I would not have done if my dad hadn't died at that age. Cause I was sort of toddling along at university and going, oh, I should do something sensible. Um, and, there was a moment where and my dad had been had done the story of our family was that my dad spent his life doing a job he didn't want to do he did very well in business advertising stuff and then he became a became an actor a year before he died he died a year after becoming an actor he had an agent he started becoming an actor at 49 and he'd always wanted to do this and suddenly his kids were in union it was like i'm gonna do the thing i want to do and then he died and for years i thought yeah well you know dad maybe want but i'm not sure i want to what i want to be but my dad dying at that age and going, God, he never really did the job he wants to do, did make me go, Oh, sod it. I was at union, I went, sod it, I'll go for drama school, I'm going to, because I was to be an actor then. Um, and so I very possibly would have gone into an ordinary job without my dad dying at that age. And that's terrible. <laughs> my, dad's, my dad had lived. There was also part of the thing that I was slightly in my dad's shadow. He was a very impressive man and very, good at everything and i don't know if i wanted to go in the same into the same industry as him i don't know if i was in my mind would i have become a performer if my dad was a performer so how dark does that sound by the way to say it does sound like oh there are times i go god if you're if dad hadn't died you might not be doing any of the things you're doing that you love doing and that is a horrible thought I wonder, I don't know, that's such a dark thing. To it's not, to it's actually fun. I had it.
1: a musician on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, a brilliant musician called Foy Vance. Uh, he, oh. And he, yeah, he he, just, his, he only really became brilliant at writing and 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 sort of able to write and produce music that connected with a bigger audience when his dad died. And he literally said the night his dad was dying, he didn't know his dad was dying, but this song kind of came to him and it was virtually fully written. And then the next day he heard his dad had died and he literally said that his dad dying was the kind of birth of him as a musician. So there you go. There's at least two wankers been on this podcast, you and Tony it's so wanky
0: though, isn't it? Can you imagine somebody going, well, they had to die for me? I'm now going
1: to say, because my dad's 79 and going strong, I'm now, anything I don't achieve, I'm going to be like, well, dad, you're still alive. Uh, quite yeah. the barrier to well, my dreams coming true. Do
0: you know what's the what, what's the shocker about somebody dying at that is being older than the parents? Your that parents must be now. weird.
1: I, I've I've gone out with a couple of people who've been the age when I was going out with them that their dads were when they died, and watched yeah. the partner I've been with. Just sort of almost thinking something bad, I'm in Sniper Alley now, something bad's going to happen. And then such a relief when they get past the age their dad was when their dad died.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I, I do try and think that they're going, God, I'm, you know, it's bloody, I should be very, very privileged. I've had three years more than my dad had. Having said that, if I died when my dad had, I, my wife wouldn't have left me. So damn, I'd never have known that my marriage <laughs> didn't work. And, uh, so I hope you're doing think...
1: material about that. That's, that's yeah, a good, that's should, a good yeah. premise. It Write a that premise. down
0: the, now. But it's, it's less to do with the fact of... Sorry, are we allowed to go on and chat about... Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. My, um, it's, but it's less to me about, oh, I might die any second. I don't actually think that. It's more to do with... Because I was 20 and my 50s did seem old. And everybody was incredibly shocked that my dad had died at 50 because obviously he was the first of that this sort of generation of friends to die, even though there were, you know, a few people who died in their 50s. And, things. Um, and I remember thinking, yeah, it is terrible. He's died at 50, but, you know, um, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd had a bit of a life. It, it, this is my 20-year-old self doing this. But then the, the day I was, in, I remember the exact day I was exactly the age my dad was when he died. And I was driving from Liverpool down to Devon. It was another of my weird tour dates. One was in Liverpool, one was in Devon. And I was driving down, and just sort of sobbed all the way down in the car just sort of going he was so young I was so because I just suddenly it, it took me re- arriving at that age to go oh my god that's a tragedy to die that young there's so much to live for there's so much else going on so I was I was really consumed by how sad it was when I became that age god that shows I'm really self-centered again doesn't it <laughs> Like, I love this.
1: I love the inner critic, the Al you know. inner critic. I can see now that, yeah, you obviously have been on your absolute best behavior when I've seen you backstage and you've been all like, hey, you know, hey, Kelly, I've got this. Don't you worry. I know what I'm doing. You had
0: a really cool image of me, didn't you, Kelly? I Before, did. Yeah. I thought
1: you were absolutely, yeah. Especially now, whatever your secret project is, you can't talk about. I've decided whatever it is, it's scripted. It's going to be brilliant. You're going to get a BAFTA. You're going to get your Thanks. moment to wave your BAFTA and have your Jerry Maguire agent moment. That is my Noel Edmonds universal ordering for you, Hal. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I'm sure that will happen.
1: I hope <laughs> so. And what is your favourite joke? Now,
0: have I heard that comics get angry with you about this one?
1: They do, everyone's always like, oh, I can't tell jokes. And I don't like talking about it. Everyone hates this question.
0: I hate it so much, and I listened to the Zoe one recently, and I thought Zoe was, was fantastic.
1: She's amazing.
0: I can only give you um, Zoe's a bit of a yeah. Zoe's a bit of a guru to me. Though. I do never admit it to. Her. Um, uh, I wrote down two things that immediately came to me, but they're both they're both two other comics doing stand up. I don't know how funny these things are. These are the things that have just made me laugh massively. So they're not joke jokes because I'm just not good. I, and I also my perfect joke joke is so nasty that I don't and I don't think it's funny enough. It's a real old one, and I'm not going to tell you about it because it's a, it's a pedo joke and it's crap. But I remember thinking, oh my god, it was a good joke. Anyway, I'm going to so I'm, I'm being tantalising about Cardiff Jonglers, about 2007. John Mann, you ever met John Mann? No. John Mann's old uh, old. He's not. You're not that old, John. If you're listening, he's mid sixties, I think, now early sixties. And he he was you know, good old jongler's comic, really, and he did a thing on stage that made me absolutely raw. Um, he 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 can have moments of being so inspired, John. And I don't know if other people find this funny or if it's just me, but he's all the stag and do's are in, and there's a stag doing in kind of went, so uh, who's on the stag, dude? Who's this? Is this your best friend? Goes, oh, that's the father of the bride, is it? Oh, father of the bride. And he went, oh, eyes I've got daughters. And he just he said, this. Guy, he just said, uh, I've, I've got daughters. They're just lovely, aren't they? They're just lovely. Uh, they're just, you know, you you watch them grow up from being little girls. You watch them grow up into being a woman. And do you know what? And he points to the grim and went, he's fucking her. <laughs> I just found that. I don't know if that's bad, at all. I just thought that was so funny. And I just loved it, <laughs> The Darkness. <laughs> also coming to my Dominic Holland who I've written co-wrote uh, my radio sitcom which should not have been stopped after two seasons but we should have done it in front of a live studio audience because it was much funnier than it came across this on this is radio your, sitcom
1: your sitcom how that had your sister Howe. in
0: it my sister was in it she was brilliant but it was it could have been we could have taken more risks with it and we could have been but Dominic I wrote Dominic wrote that with me um he has, a, he has a lovely bit of style because Dominic is the father of... I was I was watching him about a year ago do do something and I'd not heard him do this. So much. He is the father of Spider-Man, Tom yes. Holland. Yes, I only realised
1: that after I'd gigged with him recently and I asked him what his kids do and then after someone was like, yeah, good good question, Kelly. But
0: he's he's probably still doing this line because I, so I don't think these jokes are strong enough but they just made me raw. He's, the other thing about going... He talks about you know being the father of Spider Man and Tom Holland. He's obviously he's got three other sons as well. And somebody and he said, Do you know what? Somebody once came up to me and they said, uh, you know, with Tom getting all the attention, with Tom you know being the famous one, is that is that tough on the other on your other kids? And Dominic said, I turned to him and went, what other kids? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just love that. And if you were to give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, how what would it be?
0: See, I'm, I'm traumatized by this one because I've written I've written an idea down of uh if I was going to give somebody advice that, I, that, that oh I shouldn't be giving away that I knew you were going to ask me this. Um if you don't need to do social media or to be on social media for a job, get off social media. I think it's the most evil, dark, horrific, awful thing that is ripping our world apart. And I'm right on it. I'm doing it the whole time at the moment. I'm going, oh, I've, I've had a couple of days on Twitter where I've been quite funny and got loads and loads of retweets. And it's just, it's, it's just that putting all your life out there and presenting this kind of fantastic life and all the bitterness and the jealousy that's flying around on it and the anger. I think it's so nasty. I think it's, the, it's what makes the world so much worse than when it was when I was younger. And it can't just be that I'm old. It, you know I think Facebook is horrific um with people sort of well we, we, we always put the best things of our life up there and then some people put the worst things up as well I don't do that I must admit but some you know I have got friends who it's 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 the it's so sad it's the desperate seeking of attention and validation and all the rest and I'm doing it because we're comics and we have to do it we'd actually sell tickets to go, I need people to know that this is happening and I'm doing this and you know you have to do it. But if you don't have to do it for your job, just don't do it. Because I think it's the worst thing for our mental health.
1: That was Hal Cruttenden. Please do remember to check out his tour dates But It's Best You Hear It From Me. There's a link to those in the show notes. He really is one of the best comedians in the country. I promise you that. If you've never seen him, go and see him. He's touring all over the place. And um, talking of touring and talking of how and talking of sweating, that brilliant deodorant that I banged on about for which I should say we are not getting any money. Uh, but, you know, maybe we will in the future. Um, AKT, if you're listening. But it is really good. AKT, um, and we've put a link to that in the show notes as well it's changed my sweaty life and as always don't forget to rate review and recommend the podcast so that is it for this week thank you so much for listening we will be back in your feed next thursday as always when i will be talking to british businesswoman and everyone's favorite dragon deborah meaden the worst thing you can do with a business is dip in and dip out i don't actually have enough time to spend enough time with the businesses to actually get involved in the day-to-day running namaste motherfuckers was written and presented by me callie beaton and produced by mike hansen and karusha dhani for pod people productions with music by jake yap i'm callie beaton until next time motherfuckers